0: abundance, and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me to help, Epaphrodites, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. May God bless the reading of his word. I'd now like to introduce Patrick, um, Pastor Pat, who will give our sermon today. Thank you.
1: Good morning, Crossbridge family. Uh, as I was scrolling through my feed this week, as I know many of you do the same, scroll, 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 I was inundated with messages telling me what I need to be healthier, more responsible, or simply better prepared for winter. From Pelotons to hybrid cars, from Arctorex coats to titanium iPhones. Um, The barrage of advertisements left me feeling both inadequate and outpaced. Now, it wasn't just limited to material goods. I was informed that a real man drives BEVs, PHEVs, or any car that you can plug in not the car I drive. I was advised that a true master of the grill uses a Weber Genesis, not the Weber Smokey Joe that I have. And as if to question the depth of my affection, I was reminded that expressing love to my wife required that I buy her a diamond necklace from a jewelry store like Tiffany's. And family bonding was incomplete unless I bought season tickets to Killington Ski Resort. And by the end of it, my contentment seemed unattainable, as unattainable as the latest model that I was being sold. Now, can you relate with this, this relentless pursuit for contentment, this endless cycle of Today's treasures becoming tomorrow's trash. And, you know, honestly, even if we attain these possessions, that deep seated satisfaction we seek continues to elude us. You know, this is all an indication that we are losing our way. Now, many of us believe that the material success uh, will be satiated when we indulge our desires. Yet I invite you to challenge such an assumption. Our discontent does not stem from what we lack, but from where we place our focus. It's not what we own, but whom we trust. We've neglected an important reminder from Apostle Paul. These are the two verses that were before those that we read today. Coming from Philippians 4, 8, and 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Then jumping to the end. Then the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. These verses not only provide for us a profound directive, but it sets a context for us to read today's uh, sermon text. Paul, composing these words from his prison cell, awaiting death, he calls us to a life focused on what is virtuous and praiseworthy. It's this focus that cultivates peace despite our life's gravest trials. Today, let us allow Paul's words and his circumstance to guide us as we discover the satisfying and transforming power of grace-filled Christian living. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we ponder your word, open our hearts to your wisdom. Help us to discern truth amidst the noise of this world and establish your contentment in your eternal love, our contentment in your eternal love. Amen. Now, when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he wasn't just saying thank you, okay, for their monetary donation. He was celebrating that bond, one that was forged in faith and also of genuine concern, Uh, This is what he wrote, he said, "'I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length "'you have received, revived your concern for me.'" This is what he exclaimed. Can you imagine receiving that note? Not a simple thank you, but a deep, heartfelt acknowledgement of genuine concern. That's the kind of relationship that Paul had with the Philippians. It wasn't about the money exchange. It was about the mutual support, shared faith, and divine love. Let's unpack this a little bit. We look at Philippians 4.10, when Paul speaks of the Philippians reviving their concern for him, you know, it's not a correction or rebuke for something that they neglected. Instead, Paul here is acknowledging their consistent and deep seated care. They always cared, but there was some set of circumstances beyond their control that had temporarily made it, un- they- made it hard for them to express. So, it's, isn't that the nature of genuine concern? That it persists even when circumstances impede its expression. Now, Some of you might say that Paul is just expressing thanks for the gift. While that may be true, that's just a surface reading of it. Because what we read of Paul's joy here, conveyed in the text, wasn't rooted in some material gift, but in what that gift represented. He rejoiced because he knew that with every act of giving, the church was sowing seeds of spiritual growth. That you see, it's not just the act of giving itself that blesses us, but it's the heart that is behind it. And here is a trustworthy saying: you can never outgive God. Because when you give with your heart, God takes his blessings and pours it on our blessings. Now, imagine this, a friend handcrafts a a leather-bound journal for you. Now, it's not just a book, but it's an expression of his love. It's meticulously bound, and it's crafted with durable materials, and it's personalized with your initials. With similar care, the Philippians prepared a bespoke gift for Paul while he was in prison as a profound testament to their genuine concern for him. You see, in verses 14 to 17, Paul sheds more light on this unique relationship. The Philippians weren't just any church. They were quite special. They had consistently supported Paul, even when others hadn't. They had been there for him, as Scripture says, once and again. Historians believe that the Philippians supported Paul from the very beginning of their relationship. Their support reflected something that we find essential in our Eastern cultures. You see, it wasn't a matter of reciprocating or balancing or keeping score of who gave what gifts. Rather, it was the way that they nurtured their spiritual bond, conveying this deep respect and expressing heartfelt gratitude for the shared mission of spreading the gospel. And yet with all this support, Paul clarifies his intent in verse 17, saying, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul was more excited about the spiritual dividends that their giving would earn them than he was about the gift they gave. His use of the word fruit points to this. It paints a vivid picture of spiritual growth and blessings that come from acts of generosity. So what is the lesson for us today? First, there's twofold. first one is that to recognize and value genuine concern. It's exceptional in this day and age of indifferent platitudes and superficial engagements. And it's worth pointing out that it's not how much you give, but it's about the love and the concern that's behind that gift. If Paul's focus was on the monetary, we would have some indication of that here, but we don't. And second, as believers, we see the Bible teaches us to seek spiritual outcomes By our acts of generosity. Like Paul, our joy should be rooted not in the material gifts, but in the spiritual growth that they foster. So Crossbridge, let's practice this kind of authentic biblical giving. Let's give not out of obligation or out of recognition. Instead, let's give out of genuine concern for one another. Let's remember that every act of kindness, every gesture of support, and every gift, no matter how small you may think it is, carries with it the potential for spiritual growth. In a world that often measures worth by material wealth, let us, as Christ's followers, measure it by the depth of our concern by the authenticity of our relationships and the spiritual fruits of our actions. Let us remember the Philippians who showed us the true heart behind giving is one of genuine concern and selflessness. And as we do, we, let's seek not earthly treasures, but the eternal riches that come from a life lived in service to God and concern for one another. Now, let's reflect a little bit more about this church that we find in ancient Philippi. Truly, it was like no other. Now, they were were known not because of their architecture or by their singing, um, but they were known, as we just covered, by their heart posture, a heart that pulsed with the rhythm of gospel partnership. For when Paul, a servant of Christ, was in need, the Philippians reached out not once, not twice, but repeatedly. They became the hands and feet of Jesus, demonstrating an understanding of partnership that was more than transaction. Let's look again at verses 14 to 17. Paul, with gratitude, states this, "'Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble.'" Now, you see, this wasn't just a pat on the back or an encouraging word, though it was. This was a partnership grounded in the gospel, a sharing in the afflictions of Paul. When the rest of the world looked away, the Philippians saw Paul. They saw his troubles, and they acted. They were the only church that entered into this sacred partnership of giving and receiving with Paul. They stood alone in their unique commitment, sending him aid not just once, but again, as we read here, again and again when he was in Thessalonica. Now, what makes this even more profound is that Paul wasn't broadcasting his needs. He wasn't blasting out newsletters to all the churches, highlighting his hardships. Yet the Philippians, in their deep bond of partnership, perceived the need and acted upon it. Again, this wasn't about the gifts for Paul, but it was about the spiritual fruit it bore for the church that gave. Like a farmer that is less excited about the act of planting seeds, but much more focused on the harvest it would yield, Paul here was ecstatic about the eternal rewards that the Philippians were collecting. Now, do you see what Paul is trying to unpack here for us? Do you see the layers? This wasn't just about the money or resources. This was about shared experiences, mutual growth, and spiritual fruitfulness. It was about a gospel partnership in its truest sense. When the Philippians gave, it wasn't just an act of charity. It was a spiritual investment. How's that sound to you? A spiritual investment. Now, you might wonder, what does this look like for us living our lives in the 21st century? Well, consider this. Whenever you support a missionary, whenever you contribute to a ministry, whenever you extend your hand to a brother or sister in need, you're not just offering a gift or making a donation. You are entering into a partnership, if you would be willing to think of it that way. Just as the Philippians became partakers in Paul's ministries, so too do we, when we partake in the gospel work of those we support. Let's look deeper. The repeated aid the Philippians sent to Paul in Thessalonica wasn't just about meeting Paul's needs, but also about the Philippians' consistent and unwavering commitment. They saw beyond what they were giving. They grasped the broader spiritual implications and rewards of their generosity. So this is our call today. Of course, continue to give financially. But let's see beyond that gift of money. Let's look at the way we support, not as a one-off gift, as an act of charity, but as a continuous, consistent commitment, a partnership. Just as the Philippians did, we too must engage in deep spiritual partnerships that look different than a transaction. At CBCGB, we have always believed in the power of intentional giving, of partnerships. We've seen this fruit, but this isn't just about our church. This is about each and every one of us. We are called to be like the Philippians. We are called to be more than just donors. We're called to be partners. So my dear brothers and sisters, as we reflect on the depth of the Philippians gospel partnership here, let's be challenged. Let's not merely give, but let's partner. Let's not merely donate, but let's invest. Invest in the eternal, in the kingdom of God. Let's be consistent in our support, committed in our partnerships, and let us, like the Philippians, reap that spiritual fruit of such deep gospel partnerships. Now, I'd like you to imagine that you're seated on a plane and you are soaring high above the earth, and looking down from that height, you see the bustling cities with their sprawling, towering skyscrapers And then you see the roads that are winding through, filled with cars. Now, they all appear like little ants scurrying along, or perhaps like little lint balls on the tapestry of God's creation. Because from that height, the things that consume our days and our focus, they actually take its proper scale. They're small. They're fleeting. This is not to dismiss your concerns, but to put it from God's perspective. This elevated perspective offers us a glimpse into the heart of true contentment, a divine contentment that Paul expounds and teaches from the letter to the Philippians. You see, in Philippians 4.11, Paul makes a profound statement. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned what? I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. This emphatic repetition of I am underscores a, this, this change, this choice that Paul makes, a decision to be, that is independent of his external circumstances. The juxtaposition of being in need and being content, it illuminates this common human struggle we feel. But here lies the irony. You see, our circumstances, it doesn't need to dictate our terms of peace, but yet how often it will disrupt that peace. So as we ponder our present condition with all of our relentless pursuit of the next thing, the next thrill, don't we often find ourselves getting stuck in this unending loop of longing? Discontent whispers, and it tells us that happiness is just one purchase away, one promotion away, perhaps one praise or accolade away. Yet this promise is as, as is elusive as a mirage, and it ends up leaving many parched in this desert of dissatisfaction. You see, contentment is distinct. Contentment is not found in our possessions. It lies in whom we set our trust. You see, that aphorism or a simple statement of truth distills the essence of Paul's teachings. True contentment doesn't stem from amassed wealth or experiences, it's rooted in unwavering trust in God. It's not merely valuing the gift but it's about cherishing this bond that we can have with the gift giver. So amidst the adversities that would have broken anyone, for example, Paul in his life, we find this truth illustrated. He has experienced the highs of abundance and lows of scarcity. The paradoxical secret of facing plenty and hunger unveils a profound understanding. True contentment, is not found in what we have, but in whom we have, Jesus Christ. Paul's Testament is not an isolated narrative. It is scattered throughout the Bible. David, amidst the grandeur of his reign, he desired God more than all the riches of his kingdom. And Job, in the throes of his incomparable loss, steadfastly declared his trust in the Lord. These giants of faith recognize that true contentment springs not from earthly possessions, but from the presence of God. But Paul's message doesn't end with a call to personal contentment. He acknowledges the Philippians' generosity, likening their gifts to a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What a splendid metaphor. And as the sacrifices of old produce this pleasing aroma to the Lord, so do our acts of kindness and generosity today. And then with the comforting assurance of a shepherd speaking to his flock, Paul proclaims, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory In Christ Jesus, every need. This is underscored by a hyperbole, to emphasize the boundlessness of God's provision. His riches in glory stand as an infinite reservoir, ready to meet our every necessity. So, how do we apply this timeless wisdom to our lives? Now, I'm going to give you this short list. It's consider it a cheat sheet for pleasing God. First, practice gratitude. In a world that often accentuates what we don't have, let's cultivate a a thankfulness for what we do have. Counting our blessings shifts our focus from scarcity to abundance, from discontent to satisfaction. Secondly, think rightly. The Apostle Paul urges us to dwell on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. Our thoughts shape our attitudes, and our attitudes shape our lives. By aligning our thoughts with God's truth, we foster a mindset for contentment. Third, let Jesus be your strength. Paul's secret to contentment was his reliance on Christ's strength, not his own. In every high, and every low, in abundance, and in need, it was Christ who fortified him. Likewise, when we abide in Jesus, drawing our very sustenance from him, we discover the secret of being content in every circumstance. And fourth, trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. When discontent seeks to divide your heart, double down and choose to be wholeheartedly devoted to God. Forget the fleeting promises of this world, but serve the eternal promises of our God. Crossbridge I'm going to begin wrapping up where I began with this message today, with this relentless bombardment of advertisements we're always exposed to, each advertisement proclaiming a projected inadequacy. From the Peloton that I don't own, uh, to the Honda Fit that I can't plug in, to the fashionable yet unaffordable Arc'teryx coats. Um, I'm told that my steak dinners at home are inferior, and even my love for my wife is questionable because I don't gift her appropriately. See, an indiscriminate scrolling through your feed will leave you as it has left me feeling less than, inadequate, incomplete, and ironically disconnected from what is the true richness that we have in God. Each promised happiness yet delivered only a deeper hunger for more. But here we stand having reviewed the depths of Paul's wisdom in these in this passage, understanding that true contentment isn't found in the accumulation of things, but in the embrace of the one who is our all in all. It's not about the labels that we wear or the gadgets that we own or the status symbols that we flaunt. It's about fixing our eyes on the true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. As Paul penned his letters from that prison cell, he didn't fixate on the chains that held him, but he fixated on the one who breaks chains. His contentment wasn't tethered to his circumstances, but was grounded in the unchanging nature of Christ his Savior. And this is true freedom that he gives us. A freedom that is not hidden in the shadows, but is illuminated by the light of his gospel. So as each of you step back into your Monday world's Remember this truth, that when the advertisements push inadequacy on you, let's whisper back with the assurance of our identity in Christ. When society dictates the norms of success, let's stand firm on the solid rock of our faith. And when our hearts feel the pull of discontent, let's draw ever closer to that source of everlasting joy. Beloved, may we leave here not as consumers chasing the next trend, but let's leave here as disciples content in the sufficiency of Christ, for in Him we have all that we need and more. Our joy is not tied to the fleeting fancies of this world, but anchored in the eternal love of our Savior. So let's embrace an alternative narrative one that's not defined by our lack but by our abundance of what we possess in Christ. Let's live out the truth that contentment isn't about acquiring more but in trusting more, trusting in the one who fills our every need according to his riches in glory. In Christ, we find a contentment that the world cannot give but it can't take it away either a peace that transcends all understanding. And it's this peace, it's this contentment, and it's this satisfaction in Christ that we seek to embody and to share with the world. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, as we depart, let the seeds of your word take root in our hearts. Guide us to find joy not in possessions, but in your presence as we trust in your unfailing provision.